read a while ago about a elderly lady, an older lady who went out to do her Christmas shopping in a major city, and it was a really hard day. She was just fighting the crowds and not finding everything that she wanted to find, and she was just exhausted and a little bit short of patience when she got on the subway and noticed that there was a well-dressed young lady standing right beside her, wearing her watch. She looked at her hand and her watch was gone and she looked at the young lady and she just thought this is just ridiculous and I don't care what happens to me I'm not going to put up with this so she just leaned over very quietly and she said listen to what I'm going to tell you right now I'm an old lady but I take care of myself and there's not going to be any trouble if you just take off your watch and you put it in my bag right now so the young lady looked kind of surprised and took off the watch and put it in her bag and of course when she got home she had two watches like that in her bag And somewhere in New York, a young lady was having a really bad Christmas. (laughs) Christmas is the awesome time of the year, but it's easy to miss it. It's easy to mess it up. And I think there are dark forces at work in the world right now that really would like to mess up your Christmas and your life really bad. Here we are at the time of the year when we're having the Christmas program tonight. Uh, I I wish you could be me when the children go on the platform for the Christmas program to be one of the pastors uh, and see all the, the little children go up there. I wish you could feel the, the feeling that that gives to me. It's such a neat thing to see that. Tonight's the night of the annual Christmas program. And um, next Saturday and Sunday night, our annual Christmas concert. And a week and a half, our Christmas Eve candlelight service. We're at the heart of Christmas now. It's a season that's so sacred to us who are devoted followers of Jesus Christ. In preparation, we've been just savoring the Christmas text that we love so much out of the Gospel of Luke. If you allow me, Linus text in the Gospel of Luke. Especially right now in the narrative about the shepherds. Don't we just love that? And when Jesus was born, God sent a messenger to, and this was an angelic messenger from the presence of God to announce his birth to shepherds in a field at night. (laughs) That messenger, as you know, then was joined by a multitude, thousands of other angels a bit later, and then Luke records what, what they said, or, or saying. And this morning we're going to think about the significance of the most incredible angelic message from highest heaven to earth, from the throne of God to the sheep pasture, from the eternal God of the universe to common men. We're going to think about that, and that's all we're going to think about. Now, listen to the word of the Lord. Luke chapter 2 and and verse 8. Now there were in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were greatly afraid. Then the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. 
For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes lying in a manger. Plus, lying in a manger. Suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest. And on earth, peace, goodwill toward men. So let's focus on the message that the angelic host added to the message that the singular angelic messenger gave. Charles Spurgeon said, It's superstitious to worship angels, but it is proper to love them. They came from heaven with a message. They, They came from the presence of God. They were attended with the glory of God. The, it, it, the, the, the world had been dark. There had been an absence of this glory light for centuries. There had been silence, in a sense, from God for centuries. And now in this dark place, the bright light shines in the darkness and the loud angelic messenger gives this bold message and as if that wasn't enough then suddenly suddenly he's joined with a multitude it, it, the, the, the idea here is at least 10,000 the scriptures uh, actually say years later John saw 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands of angels there are a lot of angels so There could be as many as 100 million angelic beings based on what John said. But on this dark night, at least 10,000 of them joins with the angel with a message to these shepherds that are huddled in this field or they're on this shepherd's tower or wherever they were. As you stop and think about that, at the birth of Jesus, vast multitudes of heavenly messengers, evangels, if you were, angels, visited shepherds with a couple of things. And get this, an expression of heavenly praise. That's for you that are note takers, that's what you'd want to write down right there. An expression of heavenly praise and an offer of earthly peace. An expression of heavenly praise and an offer of earthly peace. What we're doing here is we're just slowing down and we're just kind of looking at one little phrase and we're seeing what it has to say. But this is the message that the multitude of angels gave. It was an expression of heavenly praise. It was an offer of earthly peace. God sent angels from heaven when Jesus was born with a message. This message was God's glory and our peace are connected. Heaven comes to earth when God's glory comes to earth. God's glory and our our experience of peace are connected. Now, most people don't get this. They want peace, but they don't understand what God's glory is. They don't really get how they can be involved in the glory of God or what it really even means. But the Bible is saying, and this really significant message from angels from heaven is saying God's glory and the peace of humankind are connected. It's really kind of all he's saying. When God is glorified, then peace comes. And heaven and earth are one. Jesus has come. This is, this is going to unite heaven and earth. Glory to God in the highest heaven. And here on earth, peace is possible. You see what the little... They're coming from heaven to earth. 
they're as heavenly as they can be, angels, to coming as earthly as they can be, shepherds, and they're tying heaven and earth together. And this is a great, you know, overarching theme of the Bible. It's where it begins and where it ends. Heaven and earth together. God's coming to earth. And he's taken over. And it's going to be peaceful then. And, and this is, uh, this is um, uh, an appetizer for that. Glory to God in highest heaven and here on earth. Peace is possible for those that he draws to himself. Those who believe. Think about it in these terms. For us, we have peace with God. To have peace with God, then God has to be glorified. For you to have peace with God, God must have glory. For your home to have God's peace in it, God must have glory in your home. For this church to have peace from God, God has to have glory in this church. For this region, for whatever town or village or city you live in, to have peace with God, God has to have glory in that town or village or or, 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 uh, township. For our beloved state of Michigan... To have peace with God, God has to have glory in Michigan. For this nation that we love to have peace, God has to have glory here. God's glory and the peace of mankind are tied together. They go together. This is the, this is, we know this is a huge message because it came from heaven at a really important time and was suddenly burst on the scene in, in a, punctuated with an angel chorus or choir or talking uh, angels, thousands and thousands of this. This is an important message. So it's appropriate that we just stop and look at it and ask ourselves, so what is this saying and what does it have to do with me? And so just think about the, this expression of earthly praise, heavenly praise. Let's think about it. The expression of heavenly praise. And let's think about, just for a minute, an offer of earthly peace. And you think, well, what does this have to do with me? I'm going to talk about marriage today. I'm going to talk about you being married. I'm going to talk about your life and your emotions. This is important. It's going to be important to you. You're going to see that. God, God's coming to earth. He cares about people. He cares about you. He cares about your marriage, your home, your family, your kids. He cares about your finances and your health. He cares about what you're thinking about right now when you're supposed to be listening to me. He cares about all of that. He's not confused. And he says... The answer to that, to to bring that into order and to have peace, I have to have glory. And if you concentrate on my glory, then I will concern myself with your well-being, your shalom, your peace. So this is what he's saying. So let's look at these two things. I mean, how harmless can a two-point message be? This can't hurt anybody today. You can endure two points, right? Right? Amen? Yeah. You're here. You're so... You said, I came to hear the children sing. And I'm putting up with you. Like, I get it. I get it. Let me, I know I'm not cute like them, but I will do my best. The message of the angels was an expression of heavenly praise. And the word used in the Bible is glory. And that's all over the Bible so much that it's easy to overlook what it even means. It is the expression of who God is in, in a light and weight the light and expression of all of the beauty of who God is, which mankind was made to adore. It's the glory of God. And this is a big deal. You're here to glorify God. When you die and go to heaven, they call that glory and the glorified state. Whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, you do to the glory of God. This is an important, huge biblical thing. The Bible says that in the church throughout generations, God will be glorified. Aren't you glad that's true? 
I know we're, we're getting older. We go, man, used to be back in the day. I remember back when and there were revivals in this land and people did this and that. And it's like, oh yeah, God died and there's no more glory for God anymore. And this generation's without God, right? Wrong. Glory in the church throughout the generations. We can believe that God, you know what I was just thinking? I don't know where this came from, but I've been walking with the Lord, so I'm going to assume it's from the Lord. You know what I want to have in our church someday? Harley people. Lots of them. <laughs> Do you ever have a, you ever have a church that has lots of Harley people? They sit together in the Harley section, and they, they love God, and they cry at the right times, and they laugh at the right times, and they love Jesus. Daniel, are you with me on this one? Yeah. We want Harleys. We want a Harley section. Lois, we would move to the other side of the church if we had a Harley section and we would just stay there with them. I don't know, you know, right? I don't. Why did I say that? I, I don't. It was came to my heart when I was sitting over there. I was at Moody Bible Institute for a pastors' conference once. There were a huge bunch of guys that were there with the Harley pastors. Do you know what I'm talking about? They have motorcycles. Yeah, and they were so full of praise and so exuberant and so fired up for God. They loved God so much. It was amazing. And this guy preached a great message. And then we went to lunch. And I'm standing in line. Never forget this. I'm standing in line at lunch. And we're all just basking in the experience of hearing this wonderful message. And I, and I, and I feel a presence near me. I feel like I'm a pretty bigger than average guy. But I feel a presence with me that's very large. And then I hear this low voice. And I hear this guy sit, standing beside me. And I hear him say, that was a great message, wasn't it? And I look over and it's like this huge guy with a Fu Manchu going down here. And he's got like leather, leather outfit, chains hanging off, and a little tear in the corner of his eye. That was a great message, don't you think? I'm like, yeah. It was so cool. I don't care if you ride a Harley or a Volkswagen. You're here on earth to glorify God. The church is to glorify God. That's what it's about. That is why you're here. And when you die, that's what it's all about when you die. You go glorify Him. That's why we do evangelism. So God gets all the glory He deserves. You say, well, I'm missing something in life. I can tell you what it is. If you aren't glorifying God, then that's what you're missing. You can save a lot of money if you get that figured out. You don't have to travel places and do kinds of things to look for God's substitutes or little idols in your life. Give God the glory He deserves and everything else is kind of like a bonus. This is what the angels are saying. The angels are saying you were made to glorify God. And when God is glorified, then the world is all as it is supposed to be. When God is glorified, the church is what it's supposed to be. When God is glorified, my marriage is what it's supposed to be. My home and my parenting are what they're supposed to be. But not unless God gets glory there. When He's glorified, then there's peace on earth. We were made for this. And this is our destiny, our very destiny. As a matter of fact, if you look in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, I thought about this. The very heart of the, of the various roles of men and women, even in marriage, is tied to the glory of God. It says that, you know, in a kind of a mysterious and kind of cryptic way. And it says, uh, the, the woman is the glory of the man, the man is the glory of God. It's like, what's that interesting? It's like, that, it's, it's like the man is supposed to, in this particular in this particular role that he has, is supposed to reflect the godness of God. A man's a man when he's like God. When, he, when, he's, 
when he has the virtues and the character of God on him by the supernatural work of the Holy Spirit in him, that's when he's displaying the glory of God. And the way it's supposed to work is he's supposed to love his wife and cherish her and treat her so that she also glows with the glory of her husband who's glowing with the glory of God. Not that a woman doesn't have a direct connection with God, because she does. But in this context, let's talk about the marriage roles. Isn't that interesting? That even in marriage, we're supposed to be concerned with the glory of God and empowered by the glory of God and worship the, the glory of God. So when the angels said this, it wasn't just like greeting card material. This was a message from heaven to mankind saying heaven comes to earth and peace comes to men when they glorify God, when God is glorified. Jesus said it in John 17, 24, Father, I desire that they also whom you gave me may be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory. That's important. In Philippians 3, 7 and 8, it doesn't use the term, but it's the idea. But what things were gained to me, Paul said, I counted loss for Christ, yet indeed I also count all things loss for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord. This is an expression of the same idea of glory, the excellence of the knowledge of Jesus. Remember, we say this often about like you, we would get tired of talking about anybody else. We would get tired of singing about anybody else, but we're going to fill this room over and over again every Lord's Day until Jesus comes back talking about him. We will never get tired of seeing little children sing praises to Jesus, but you insert any other name in the world and it would be so weird and so flat and so wrong because he deserves our glory. And we're made to give Him glory. That's what the Scriptures are saying. The, the excellence of the knowledge of Jesus Christ my Lord. You are a chosen generation, Peter said. A royal priesthood. A holy nation. A special people. So that you can proclaim the praises, the excellencies, the glory of Him who called you out of darkness and into His marvelous light. If you're looking to figure out what your meaning in life is, it's that way for everybody. The meaning of your life is to do whatever you do, however you do it, the unique place where God put you, the unique gifts that God gave you to give God glory. That's why you're here. And when God has glory, all is right with the world. And so the message of the, of the angels was this wonderful expression of heavenly praise, of glory. And it's really, really important. It's a little bit like the moon. If you went out recently in a winter night, you see the moon, especially as it first rises full in the clear, cold sky of a winter night. It doesn't have its own light, but it sure seems like it has its own light. But it focuses on the sun and it reflects the light of the sun into the dark world. That's what we're supposed to do. Gazing on the Son of God. Gazing on God, His excellencies, his glory, his goodness, his love, his kindness, his mercy, his compassion, his grace. We worship him by gazing on that. What happens is we don't have our own light, but his light is reflected into the dark corners of the world. This is what the angels are saying. That's what we're supposed to do. That's what we're made to do. Now here's the second part, and that is the message of the angels is not only an expression of praise, but it's an offer of earthly peace. It's tying heaven and earth together, offering earthly peace. Peace with God, the peace of God, peace on earth, peace among men of his good pleasure, those he will call to himself, peace. It really here isn't a promise, an unconditional promise to all men. That's not really what it's saying. We know that would not be consistent with the rest of the Bible. What it is, is an offer to those who he draws to himself and those who will respond to his calling. 
every heart, every home, every people, all humanity, anyone. But then, but why did Jesus say, if the, the angels are announcing peace on earth, and then Jesus comes and he says, I came not to bring peace but a sword. That was in, that's in Matthew 10, 34. Did you ever wonder about that? When we talk about peace, we sing these wonderful songs, but you look around and, Pastor Stephen, thank you for choosing that great video today. That was so appropriate. You look around and you think, but God, if you came to bring peace on earth, when's that going to happen? Because I need some of that. And our world needs that. Wouldn't it be wonderful if everything was like a, an old Coke commercial and everybody got together and swayed and sang and sang hippie songs and loved each other? It's not like that. It's not like that. Why is it? Remember Longfellow's famous poem, His Son is Wounded in the Civil War. And he's listening to the bells ring on Christmas Day and says, hate is strong and mocks the song of peace on earth, goodwill to men. Longfellow's expressing what all of us have felt. God, I hear you. I hear what you're saying and I want it to be true, but it just doesn't look like that around here. It looks bad. It, it seems like it's getting worse. There are things that are so bad I can't even talk about them. I can't even express them. I don't even want to describe them. They're just so bad. There's bad things in our world. There's bad things in my house. There's, sometimes there's bad things in my heart. God, so how does this peace on earth work? <laughs> I had a friend. I talked to him last night. He traveled to, to uh, Bethlehem last Christmas. It sounds good, doesn't it? The little town of Bethlehem. How still we see thee lie. It's in the West Bank, you know. You know what he said? He said they went to the site, but they couldn't sing the carols. Because they said if they sang Christian carols there, they might cause trouble. So they couldn't sing Christian carols at the site that's, that they commemorate the birth of Jesus Christ in Bethlehem because that's a really troubled part of the world and a very complex troubled part of the world. Doesn't that seem incongruous? Peace on earth, goodwill to men, but don't sing that here in Bethlehem because you might get hurt. How do we untangle that? Let me me help you because you you know this, but I want to express it here. In John 14, 27, Jesus made a statement, which his disciple recorded, which helps us clear up this apparent contradiction, if you will. He says, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. And then this caveat, not as the world gives, give I unto you, right? So as it, as it usually is, God's ways are different. Jesus' peace was peace that comes into the midst of, of conflict. Jesus' birth makes peace possible, but it must be appropriated by peacemakers. It's helpful uh, for me to think of three ways the Bible talks about peace. And I want to give you these three ways today. No extra charge, okay? Number one, there's the peace that we achieve when... That when we grow in likeness, there's a peace that we, that we, that we get when um, our sins are forgiven. You know this. It's the peace of salvation. The peace of salvation. It's what we call peace with God. You know this, but I want to repeat it, right? The Bible says that people without God won't have peace. It says that. Over and over, Isaiah 57, 20, the wicked are like the troubled sea when it cannot rest. And Isaiah 5, 48, 22, there's no peace, says the Lord, for the wicked. In Revelation 14, 11, and the, the smoke of their torment ascends up forever and ever, and they have no rest day or night, 
who worship the beast, the image of whoever receives the mark of his name. There's no peace for those who reject the Prince of Peace. Without God, there is no peace and no promise of peace. But with God, there is peace. Peace with God through Jesus Christ. That's where Romans 5.1 says, being justified by faith. And you've been here with the message on Romans. You understand the importance, the vital importance of understanding the truth of justification by faith. No one will ever have peace with God without being justified by faith. And that's what Romans 5.1 says. Being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. This is the peace. And listen to Ephesians 2, verses 12 through 17. It's lengthy, but it's the Bible. It's very powerful. Listen to this, what it says about peace. That at that time, you were without Christ, aliens from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were once afar off have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he himself is our peace, who has made both one and broken the wall of separation and has abolished the flesh with the enmity, that is, the law of commandments contained in ordinances, so as to create in himself one new man from the two, thus making peace, and that he might reconcile them both to God in one body through the cross, thereby putting to death the enmity. And he, be, and he came and preached peace to you who are afar off and those who are near. For through him we both have access by one spirit to the Father. You're getting this? Why don't you have peace? Maybe it's because God is in his providence trying to stimulate within you a great hunger for peace that will never be satisfied until you understand justification by faith and the root of peace is, is, is just peace with God, which is another way of saying you got saved. You know the Lord is your Savior. So you're never going to have peace until you have that, that first. Uh, it, that's um, the peace of salvation. Listen to Colossians 1 and 20. And by him to reconcile all things to himself by him, whether things on earth, things in heaven, having made peace through the blood of the cross. And you'll notice if you pay attention to it over and over in the Bible, he keeps talking about things being on earth like they are in heaven. And that should be the longing of every devoted follower of Jesus. God, make it here in my house like it is in heaven. Make it on earth like it is in heaven. He says, I will someday. And it starts with every heart yielding and having a peace of God through salvation. Well, the second one, and you know this, is there's that peace that we achieve as we grow in likeness to Christ, and we call that sanctification. And, and, and you could say that's the peace of God. It's a lot more than that, but it certainly is that. Right? So one promise of peace, and the primary meaning is peace with God by being saved. A secondary and, and, and connected and incredibly important and inseparable peace is the peace of God, the peace of sanctification. Great peace of they who love your law. Nothing will cause them to stumble. Proverbs sixteen seven says, When a man's ways please the Lord, he makes even his enemies to be at peace with him. And Isaiah 26 and 3, it says, You'll keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. You hear about the little girl that like so many little girls lived in a home where there was a big argument over the Christmas plans. You remember this story? It was a horrible thing. It was a big argument over the Christmas plans. But they put her to bed, and when they did, you know, they had her say her prayers, but she kind of messed them up and said, and forgive us our Christmases as we forgive those who Christmas against us. You ever have a Christmas like that? You have, right? If you have conflict in your heart or your home, 
keep walking with the Lord. Grow in the Lord. If you have conflict in your marriage, you're having trouble in your marriage, keep walking with the Lord. Keep growing in the Lord. It doesn't seem like it's going to get better, and you might be just you might not think you're going to make it, but keep walking with the Lord. If you can, you might not. Keep walking with the Lord. Keep growing in the Lord. Can I tell you a Christmas story? This is an old one. Once a, a young couple got married. They were young, and they had a lot of growing to do. And the first years of their marriage were turbulent, and it was especially difficult at Christmas time. It seemed like they always got into conflict around holidays. Around Christmas time was hard for them. The second year of their marriage, they're trying to decorate the tree, and things went, they got tangled up in argumentation and difficulty. And it went so bad that in a fit of anger, he took the tree, and he just took it over to the door, and he pushed it out the door, and he threw the tree out into the snow. Her heart was broken, and so she got in a car to go to her mother's. She drove away, and her mother lived a few hours away. He went and got the tree out of the yard, and he brought it back in. He set it up, and he just sat and looked at that empty tree, and he felt so sad and so guilty and so wrong for what he had done. He went and he got in bed. His heart was sad, and he thought to himself, I wonder if my marriage is going to last. She went to a restaurant in a city about an hour away, got to thinking about, I can't tell my mom I'm having trouble in my marriage. She'll be so disappointed. She'll be so worried for me. She got a Coke. She turned her little car around, and she went back. She came back to her house and got in bed beside her husband without speaking to him, and for three or four icy days, they didn't talk. They stayed together, and the next fall, they had a little boy, and then another, and then another, and they had four boys and four girls. Beautiful kids. They had so many happy memories of Christmas after that. They had some bad memories, too. They stayed together. And by now, you know, the guy who did this tree out in the snow is me. The other day, Lois and I were thinking about the kids and how much we want them to know the Lord, and how much we want them to love the Lord, how much we want them to have the peace of God in their homes. And we were feeling bad about mistakes that we had made. We both felt so bad about it. Times like that, you just don't want to do. And I said, well, maybe we should just pray. And she said, yes. Let's just ask God to forgive us again. And let's ask God to help our kids in case we messed them up really bad. And we stood in the hallway of our little house and we held hands. And we said, God, would you please forgive me for all the sinful things that we've done? The arguments that we had in front of the kids and how it might have hurt them. And would you please reach into our kids' homes and help them? Give us your peace. And together, we, we're going to have our, our 36th beautiful Christmas together. We're making it. We're happier than we've ever been. But there are Christmases when everything Jesus promised just seems impossible.
Now I'm going to have to ad lib because I can't see my notes anymore. You ever hear this beautiful prayer? Lord, make me an instrument of your peace. Where there is hatred, let me so love. Where there is injury, pardon. Where there is doubt, faith. Where there is despair, hope. Where there is darkness, light. Where there is sadness, joy. Divine Master, grant that I may not so much seek to be consoled as to console, to understand, as, as, under, to be understood as to understand, to be loved as to love. For it is in giving that we receive, in pardoning that we're pardoned, and in dying that we're born again into eternal life. Lord, make me an instrument of your peace. That's what I want today. I don't wonder how many of you need to go stand in the hallway and hold hands and pray and say, God, I'm asking you to give me your peace in my marriage. You ever hang out with old people and they argue in front of you with each other and you think, good night, don't you realize how uncomfortable this is making us? I think to myself, I don't want to have that kind of marriage. That makes everybody around me uncomfortable because I can't get along. I want to treat my wife with courtesy. I want to grow as a husband and be kind and tender and good to her. I want her to be happy, not just have to act happy. I want her to be glad she married me. I want my kids to want to be married because they see that I like being married. But I'm not going to have that unless God helps me because that stuff's impossible without God's help. And I'm telling you today, you may need to be reconciled with your husband or your wife or maybe that's impossible. But as much as it's possible within you, live at peace with all men and the Prince of Peace will help you if you ask him. There may be someone that's hurt you or someone that you've hurt. Isn't Christmas the perfect time for peace to come into that? Give God glory and make peace with that person. Maybe even a family member, maybe a brother, maybe somebody sitting here and you really aren't really having warm conversations with your own brother or your own sister, your own family member. Do you realize how that breaks the father's heart? And yet you're going to celebrate Christmas, but if you're going to celebrate Christmas for Christ, but well, for his sake, why don't you go reconcile with your brother? Go reconcile with your mother while you can, with your dad, with your children, with your neighbor. You're a Christian. You're a follower of Jesus. He's the Prince of Peace. You say, why can't they get along in Ferguson? Well, we're not in Ferguson. We're in Taylor. Let's get along here. Let's love one another here. Let's send, find somebody that's different than us and let's love them sincerely and listen to them and care about them. Let's see Jesus touch down in Taylor. Wouldn't that be wonderful? And we can say to the world, look what Jesus just showed up here. He showed up in my house. He showed up in my marriage. He showed up in my church. It's Christmas. Then peal the bells more loud and deep. God is not dead, nor doth he sleep. The wrong will fail. The right prevail with peace on earth. Goodwill to men. How could you not love Christmas? It's a time for praise. It's a time for peace. Thousands of angels sang it the night Jesus was born. Heaven came to earth to bring earth to heaven. Glory to God in the highest, and on earth, peace, goodwill toward men.